Welcome to New Covenant Church. You are listening to this week's message with Senior Pastor Chris Valdez. We are so glad that you're with us this morning. If you're a guest, welcome. Today's a special uh, morning. Some of you may have read in the newspaper. We, we put an article just thanking or an ad thanking all of the contractors that were involved in uh, the building of our new NCC West Children's and Youth Facility. And this morning after the service, we're going to have a lunch and you're all invited. Uh, just bring yourself and your family and, and friends and it'll be immediately following the service. Pastor Darrell will give some more information about that at the end of the service. Uh, but we would love for you to join us. Uh, I said in the first service that, you know, after any of our services, there's a few minutes or moments that we have to talk and visit, but it's never long enough. And uh, one of the other bonuses of this time together is that we get to visit. Uh, so we would love for you to just come and hang out with us and enjoy lunch and just uh, spend some time maybe meeting some new uh, friends and neighbors and part of the body of Christ with us. Um, well, before we get into the message, though, I do want to say a special thanks to uh, Bobby Sanford, our you in the building? Is here? Stand if he is. Maybe he's not. He may not be here yet. Um, and any contractors or anyone that was involved in the construction, if anyone's here that was involved, you, if you don't mind standing, we just want to recognize you and say thank you. Yeah, David, thank you. Gary, yeah, back here. Thank you. Thank you all. Well, thank you. Thank you all very much. Um, everyone that was involved did uh, fantastic work. Uh, David actually put all the steel and the, and the structure. Uh, and uh, so thankful for everybody that was involved. Um, it turned out great. Uh, one thing that you'll notice is if you join us and walk through is the upstairs, which will be the youth room, it's all finished except for the floor. And a lot of you in the newspapers may be reading that we're, um, there's a real crunch on supplies, uh, and we haven't been able to get the floor. But as soon as we get floor, we'll put it in. Um, but we're, we're really looking forward to that and really would like for you all to all join us. Well, this morning, uh, we're going to start a two-week series on our indescribable, infinite, and incomprehensible God. A.W. Tozer, in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, wrote this statement. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. This will be left up there for a little bit, and I think I could stop uh, right here with this statement, and it would give all of us enough to think about and dwell on for at least a good week. What attributes, what characteristics, what thoughts come into your mind when you think about God? I don't think it's a question that most of us could re- readily answer uh, without taking some time to really pray and reflect and ponder in our own heart and mind and soul what the answer to that question would be. But I do hope that all of us at some point will spend enough time to come up with an answer to that question. The next question that we need to ask ourselves is, are my thoughts about God true? These thoughts that may come to mind, are they true? And this is a very important question. Are my thoughts about God an accurate reflection of Him and His nature, of who He is and who He's revealed Himself to be? I've felt for quite some time that the church, and I'm not talking just about New Covenant, but the global church, and certainly the church in the United States, has gotten an incorrect view of God. You could say that it's a casual view, or a low view of God. There's a a theory that exists that they, they call a pendulum swing. Uh, and, and for all of you maybe my age or older, you know what a pendulum is. 
Uh, for you kids out there, it, they used to have clocks <laughs> that were like a watch that told time, and there was a thing that swung on the bottom. And it swings from one side to the other, and it swings back and forth. And throughout time and throughout history, cultures and societies and politics and religion have made swings back and forth. Extreme swings back and forth. And I know just in my lifetime, and even in the last decade, in the the political realm of the United States, we can all say that we have witnessed huge swings back and forth in ideologies and what the, the people that are leading our country believe. Well, that same thing is true in the church. And the church has swung back and forth. And you could find uh, small pockets and examples of where uh, of, of all of these thoughts uh, at one moment. But it seems like throughout history, the church as a whole has gone one way or the other. And for the, the church in the United States, I would say we've, we've gone uh, to a, to, I don't know, liberal is the right word, but to the side of grace and mercy, and the love of God, which are all true, and they're all true aspects of God, but so is His righteousness, and His holiness, and His judgment, and His truth. Those are just as true of who He is. But if we come all the way to this side, or all the way to that side, we have an incorrect picture of who God is. So I want to cautious us this morning as we look at this this week and next week, that wherever, whichever side you might find yourself on, The correction is not to go to the other side. It's to take every aspect of who God is and see that they're all part of Him and they all go together. I believe much of the church has far too a casual view of God and that the danger is that we would leave behind or abandon God's grace and mercy and love and go to the other extreme of God's righteousness and holiness and judgment with no grace or mercy. Because if you come all the way over here to righteousness and judgment and truth and holiness, which are all true about Him, but leave grace and mercy and love behind, then He's too righteous and too holy to come to. But if we go all the way to the other side and just say he's all love and all righteous and or merciful and loving, then you can do anything you want, whenever you want, and the condition of your heart doesn't matter because grace is going to cover it all up. And that's not who he is either. He's neither extreme, but every one of those aspects is true, and he brings them all together into absolute perfection. Is God righteous? Yes. Is God merciful? Yes. Is God holy? Yes. Is God full of grace? Yes. Is God going to judge the living and the dead? Yes. Is God love? Yes. He's all of these things. Can we ever fully comprehend Him? No. You know the answer. We can stop right now. But we can get to know Him in prayer in His Word for revelation and trust that the Holy Spirit will continue to reveal the truth about Him to us as we seek Him. John 16:13 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak and He will declare to you the things that are to come. The Holy Spirit, Jesus sent And those words were spoken by Jesus Christ himself. He sent the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth of who he and the Father are. 
The first commandment found in Exodus chapter 20 is to have no other gods before God. And the second is like it, to create no graven image or likeness of anything to worship. I would say that having physical idols is not a problem in the United States. There are still cultures that have physical idols, but that's not widespread. We could go to most of our homes and we're not going to find statues that any of us bow down to. But I guarantee we have thoughts and characteristics and images of God in our heart and in our soul that are inaccurate images of who He is. And they're just as much of an idol as if we were to put a little statue and say, this is my God. We could list countless examples in our society how people both inside and outside the church are coming up with perverted images and characteristics and attributes of God that are absolutely false. Those who believe in these creative gods are not believing in the one true God. No matter how much it feels good, no matter how good it sounds, if it's not God, it's an idol. We're going to take a look at these at two extreme images that God gave us. He gave us pictures of things in His creation that give us examples or ideas and thoughts, but they're far from perfect examples of who He is. But it's the best that we can do. I lost the author's name, but he said, he uses the word that he said, God condescends Himself to us. And it sounds like a bad thing, but the truth is he is so high above us. His thoughts are beyond our thoughts that we can't possibly comprehend him in his fullness. He has to bring himself down into a level that we can understand. And he does that through his creation. But there isn't anything in this created world that is an exact image of God. And so in Revelation chapter 5, He uses two completely opposite images to represent His Son, Jesus Christ. And those two images are the lion and the lamb. These two descriptions of Jesus Christ are found throughout the Bible, but we're going to look at this one chapter of Revelation where Jesus Christ is described as both. Starting in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, it says, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Jesus Christ as a conquering lion. And then in verse 6, it says, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, and with, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and the golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints." And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you are slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. That is a high view of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God and the Lion, the conquering Lion of God. Could two images be more opposite, yet they're used to describe 
The same man, the same one and only Son of God. The full revelation, the full disclosure of God Himself in flesh. Jesus Christ. One thing I want to point out before we go on is that everyone fell down. All the elders fell down and worshipped the Lamb. I think we can understand being in awe and showing respect, maybe even fear, in the presence of a lion. But when is the last time that you trembled in the presence of a lamb? Yet in the presence of this lamb, Jesus Christ, they all fell prostrate on their faces in worship. That is the lamb of God. An appropriate response is to fall down and worship. This goes back to my thought that the church has become far too casual with their view of God. And so far over here that if we were just to describe it in a sense that we might walk into God's living room and prop our feet on the coffee table and just say, what's up? How are you doing? But that's not the image of the elders that we see when they come into the presence of the Lamb of God. They fall on their faces and worship and cry, Holy and worthy are you who did everything that was necessary to ransom people from every tribe, every tongue. That is who He is. And we see a good example. What we're going to see this morning is how seriously God takes a correct image of Himself being represented. And we're going to look at an example both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God used Moses to deliver the people out of Israel. Many of you know this story, but if you don't, I'll give you a real quick synopsis. They were slaves to the Egyptians. And God, after 400 years uh, of them trying to find a place and then being in slavery, God delivers them through Moses from slavery. But they don't believe God in His Word to take them into the Promised Land. And so they're forced to go around for 40 years until everyone that doubted Him would pass away. And God promised, I'll take the next generation into the Promised Land. Throughout this time, God shows Himself mightily over and over and over. And multiple times they ran out of food and water and God would miraculously provide more. On one occasion, God told Moses to strike a rock. And he did, and God gave enough water for all the people and all their animals. And in the account that we're going to look at today, he, they had run out of water again. But this time God told Moses, don't strike the rock, speak to it. And we pick up that story or account in Numbers 20, verse 10. It says, Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Moses wasn't too happy with them. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. Moses disobeyed God, and instead of speaking to the rock, he hid it. Notice God's response. Because you did not believe in me, 
to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. And through them, the waters of Meribah, God showed himself holy. That word holy means other than. And the word used for believe here is pronounced amen, and it includes the negative. So here it's saying, you did not believe. You did not trust me. You didn't think I would be faithful. And the word used there for holy is pronounced kadash. And it means holy other, consecrated, set apart, and sacred. So in this statement, God is telling Moses, you represented me as other than I am to the people. You gave them an image of me that was false. You lied to them about me, Moses. And because of that, you're not going to enter into the promised land. When we have a false understanding or view of God, we're misrepresenting Him to those around us. When God speaks to us and tells us to do something, and we choose to do something else, we're presenting a false image of Him to those around us. And because Moses misrepresented God to the people, he would not be able to enter into the promised land. And I think, uh, I'll stop speaking for you guys, I'll just speak for myself. I read that and I'm thinking, God, that seems pretty severe. Look at all he did for you. He's, He's put up with this miserable group of people for so long. I think he did a pretty good job of, of dealing with the frustrations. I get it. I understand. Couldn't you just give them a break? You're not going to let them into the promised land because of this one mistake? And what that reveals in my heart is I've got a wrong image of God. Because our God said, my image is worth upholding. And you misrepresented me. And because you misrepresented me, you can't go in. And I don't think God's heart was, yay, I get to keep Moses out. It broke his heart that he wouldn't get to come into the promised land. But his righteousness and his holiness and the correct image of him being represented to the people was worth him holding the line. And he said, I can't let you in, Moses. You misrepresented who I am. And like I said, all that does is reveals in my heart Maybe I'm a little more on the grace side than the law. But God's on both sides. The next example is found in the New Testament in an interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's found in Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. And it says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them and said, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. It may not be the first thing that jumps out to you when you read this passage, but the Pharisees and Sadducees were committing spiritual adultery here. And Jesus says that outright. They had made an idol and they were committing adultery on God. Jesus said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but the only sign that you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. And they didn't believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And over and over they tried to trip him up and they were constantly testing him. 
constantly trying to discredit him and even get him to kill him. And they did all of these things because they were worshiping a false god. A god that they had created in their heart and in their minds. Jesus had this conversation with them on multiple occasions. And they said, our father's Abraham. They claimed Abraham and Isaac and Jacob as their fathers. But Jesus said, your father is the devil. Because you've built an image of God that is not Him. And He makes it very clear in John 8, verses 19-20, through and says, They said to Him, therefore, where is your Father? And Jesus answered, You know neither Me nor My Father, because if you knew Me, you would know My Father also. These words He spoke in the treasury as He taught in the temple, but no one arrested Him. Notice, they wanted to arrest Him because his hour had not yet come. This infuriated them. How dare he challenge their belief? How dare he question their theology? Because they knew they were right. In their heart and in their mind, they thought they were serving the one true God. They even thought they were doing God a favor by having Jesus Christ crucified. That was the level of their spiritual adultery and blindness. They were totally and completely deceived. And Jesus said, the only sign that you will see is the sign of Jonah. And he was referring to his death and his resurrection. And they would see that sign and they still would not believe. They could not see God in Jesus because of the idol they had made in their heart. And Jesus didn't look like it. Who has God revealed Himself to be in His Son, Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is the victorious and conquering Lion of Judah. Jesus Christ is the slain and risen Lamb of God. If you've ever read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, you know that uh, the character Aslan, the lion, is a representation of Jesus Christ. And I think Lewis did an excellent job of describing the lion aspect of Jesus Christ in a conversation between a character named Mr. Beaver and Susan. Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is a lion. The lion. The great lion. And Susan responds, oh, I'd thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall rather feel nervous about meeting a lion. And Mr. Beaver replies, safe. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Of course he isn't safe. God is not safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Think about how you would enter into the presence of a lion. As just a created animal of God. We would be terrified. Every step would be taken with caution. If someone outside of the area stepped on a stick, we'd jump six feet high. We would be so cautious and so careful because we were in the presence of a lion. When's the last time you were around a lamb? Were you terrified? Were you cautious? 
But Jesus Christ is both. And when we come into His presence, we're coming into the presence of both. And we have to respect that. The Bible's full of passages describing the holiness of God and our need to give Him the utmost honor and respect. At the same time, we find scriptures and passages like Hebrews 4.16 that let us know that we can enter in His presence with confidence or boldness and draw near to the throne of grace. We're way over here, and we're way over here. And God says, yes, that's who I am. The Old Testament isn't all law and judgment. God has always been gracious and merciful. He's always been who He is. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when He revealed Himself to Moses, the man that that wasn't able to get into the promised land, in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, it said, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. This was the, the proclamation God spoke to Moses as he revealed himself. He said, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's the Old Testament. That's who he is. And earlier we read in Revelation that everyone present fell down in the presence of the Lamb because that's who He is. God encompasses both extremes and everything in between perfectly. Does it make sense to us? No. Why is it so hard for us to comprehend? Don't we as parents at one moment embrace and kiss our children? And then the next, punish them because of their misbehavior? Because we're supposed to raise them up right? And don't we do both in love? So why do we think God has to be one or the other? Not both. It's not an either or, it's an and. Jesus Christ is the lion. And He's the lamb. He's our Savior. And He will judge He's gracious and righteous, merciful and holy, loving and will hold us accountable. And He's absolutely faithful. The answer to our questions about God and even our own understanding of God will not quickly be found. They must be sought by prayer and meditation on the written Word and allowing the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth to us. Even if it contradicts the images that we've made of Him. I don't want to be like Moses and disobey God in a way that would misrepresent Him to those around me. Or like the Pharisees and Sadducees who refused to lay down their wrong view of God even when He was literally standing right in front of them. Jesus Christ proclaimed the truth to them in His person, but they refused to believe. I hope we'll all take some time this week and be honest with ourselves about what comes into our mind when we think about God and allow the Holy Spirit to correct any of the false images that we've allowed to replace who He really is. It's also my prayer for the church that when we come into His presence seeking Him, seeking Him to reveal Himself to us, that we do so with respect and awe, and wonder, because He's always holy. 
He's always righteous. He's always worthy. He's always just. And He's always full of mercy. And He's always love. And He's always graceful. He's all those things at all times. He isn't the lion or the lamb. He didn't give us the law or grace. He is the lion and the lamb. And He gave us the law and grace. And the only correct image of God keeps all of these things, all of His attributes, all of His characteristics, every revelation that He gives of Himself together in balance. And our only hope for a correct view of God is through a relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ, and self-disclosure and revelation of His person through the work of the Holy Spirit. As Jesus said, He sent Him to tell us the truth, to reveal to us all truth. And that's exactly what He's been doing ever since Jesus went back to sit on His throne. I shared a long time ago uh, I don't remember, recall exactly when, but it was a revelation that I felt like God gave me of himself through the Holy Spirit. And it was one of those encounters that changed the image that I have made of God that, I, that was incorrect. And what that was, was I always pictured God in that final judgment that spoke about in Revelation, like he was like glad it was there. Like, finally, I get to judge the, those that didn't follow me and, the, and welcome in those that did and it's finally going to be over and all these people will be sent to hell and it will be done. But the image that he showed me was him weeping. And we know that God has something akin to what we do when we weep because when Jesus was here on this earth, he wept multiple times. And it, was, it broke his heart that all these people that had to be judged because of His righteousness, because of His holiness, and because they never came to Him, and not only did they not come to Him, they rejected Him over and over and over throughout their lives. Over and over and over, He tried to reach them and cry out to them and give them every opportunity to come to Him. And they said, no, 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 no. But at that moment, instead of rejoicing that I'll show you once and for all, he's saying, it breaks my heart. But it's what has to be done because it's who I am. And it's the way this whole thing works. And we have to come to that place where we make a decision. Are we going to receive him for who he is, the Lord and Savior that everything that we have in our life that doesn't line up to Him has to be torn down, has to come down. But it's through His grace and love and mercy that He accomplishes it. And it's how we can come before Him with boldness and with confidence because He loves you. But we have to want to come. We have to want to see Him for who He really is. And He gives us the Holy Spirit to do exactly that. Will you bow your head with me as we close in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank You. Lord, I thank You that in a million ways, over and over and over, You have revealed Yourself to humanity and You're doing it right now. 
Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that has not accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that right now they hear the Holy Spirit calling out to them, saying, Come. Come through my grace and my mercy, through the paid sacrifice of Jesus Christ dying on the cross and being resurrected and now being seated at your right hand. Let them respond to the truth that the Holy Spirit is speaking to them right now. Father, and for those of us who have come to you, I pray that we would open up every aspect, every part of our soul and mind that the Holy Spirit could tear down every false image that we have built of you. Lord, if we have any characteristic, any attribute, anything that we have assumed was part of your character that is false, Lord, tear it down. Father, I pray that everywhere that we go, we would be representing a clear image of who you really are, inviting people to come into a relationship with the King of kings and Lord of lords. Show us yourself, Lord. Reveal yourself to us through your Holy Spirit. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, I've studied the Scripture for 55 years. You think about that. You study something for 55 years, you think, I got that. Do you know what I discovered? The more I studied, the more I realized new ways to see God. Not that He's new. He's opening our eyes to see Him in a different way. One of the greatest dangers in our life is to have an image of God that, he, that makes Him like us. He's not like us. He's altogether other. All right, let me make a couple of announcements and then we'll get to the party. All right? You're all invited over to NCC West, but we, but we need to do it in a certain way, all right? Let me just give you a couple of announcements. Common Grounds will be closed Friday. Men's Breakfast next, next Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Afterwards, we're going to be having a safety team meeting in the conference room over here in the hallway. If you're interested in being a part of the safety team, that would be a good meeting to attend next Saturday morning at, at 8 or 9. And uh, it should start around 9. That's the reason I'm telling you about that. Volunteers, don't forget the Volunteer Appreciation Party is Saturday, June 19th at Camp Triumph over at Cove. It says on our flyer, I was going to tell you there's a flyer out there. It says on our flyer, Friday, June 19th. It's Saturday, June 19th, okay? So pick up a flyer and change the date. Today we're celebrating what God has done in NCC West. And let me tell you, it's a miracle. Over $800,000 in one year. And we're almost completely finished. We're not completely finished. But we're going to have a a lunch. It's catered over there. And we want you to, to go to do that and walk through it. But here's what we're going to do right now. We want to release all of you that have children for the safety of our children and make sure they're picked up by their parents. We're going to release you right now, okay? So right now, if you have kids, you get to be first in line. If you will go and get your children, please. That's going to be half the congregation. All right? They're going to go pick up their kids. As soon as their kids, and we get a call from over there that everyone has been identified as with parents... 
We're going to release us. Now, I'm going to dismiss us in just a moment, but I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stay here or out in the foyer and visit with one another. And then, David, raise your hand, or David will come up here, and he will let us know. We're going to communicate from back over there to here that it's ready for everyone to come, okay? Looks like everybody's going. So if you would just be patient, it shouldn't take over probably ten minutes, all right? And so go to the restroom, do that, feel good about it, and and then we David's going to give you the time and the call for you to go over there, all right? Let's bless the food. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the miracle you've done in our church with NCC West. We also, in the name of Jesus, bless the provision of the food as we partake of it together. Nourish our bodies with food, but nourish our spirits with fellowship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's message. 